Everybody, it's me, it's me, it's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega with episode 49 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network. That's right, folks, somehow over the course of multiple years, I don't even know how many years it's been because there was there was at least like a, a three-year break in between episodes through... Many, many moons and many, many years, we have made it here to episode 49. 49 installments of yours truly speaking to you about all the various unwanted takes, thoughts, ruminations, etc. That, well, since I did say they're unwanted, you never wanted. And you probably didn't need, but we have them here for you anyway. In this 49th iteration. So thank you, folks, for bearing with me, for sticking with me, for coming along on this ride. And with that being said, let's get down to brass tacks. I'm sitting here in, I don't even know what to call this place. It's not really Sensational Manor. Sensational Manor was the home that I lived in in Santa Rosa, California for 10 years. A home that no longer belongs to the Sensational family. It was recently sold to another individual. And I'm here in this temporary abode, waiting to move into a new home that we purchased. The newest iteration of Sensational Manor. Sensational Manor 2.0, I guess we would call it. Because while various members, myself obviously, and other members of the Sensational family have lived in other places, the only other place that was our own home that we owned that all four of us lived in, both me, my wife, Ms. Sensational, and our two children, Miss Sensational 1 and Miss Sensational 2. The Sensational Manor, that house that we lived in for Santa in Santa Rosa for 10 years, that was the original place that all four of us lived together in a place that we actually, well, the bank actually owned. But you know what I'm saying. We were paying rent to a landlord. Um, so that was Sensational Manor. The place that we have now purchased that we will be moving into, we will call Sensational Manor 2.0. Home that we bought here, townhome that we bought here in Napa, California, but it, do, it, it's, it doesn't yet exist. It is being built as we speak. So we're kind of camped out in this rental home that I probably referred to as Sensational Manor before um, on previous uh, episodes of this podcast in the two years that we've been living in this rental home. But it is a, it is a pale imitation. It's a, it's a photocopy of a facsimile of a mimeograph of what a Sensational Manor should be. But we're camped out here in any case, and... It is 4.08 in the afternoon on a Tuesday, Tuesday, July 20th. You will be listening to this sometime after this point in space and time. Uh, but I bring this to you because I normally record the podcast earlier than this, but today has been a been an obstacle course. That's kind of been the, the theme of attempting to record during the summer, during summer vacation, while Ms. 1 and Ms. 2 are home from school. But uh, I had to take them both to Santa Rosa, California, which is about an hour away from where we live in Napa, California. I had to take them to, um, each one had an orthodontist appointment 
this morning. And it ate up most of the day once all was said and done. Because, you know, it's two hours of transit time, an hour of appointment time, an hour of getting something to eat after we're there, and then, like, several more hours of trying to get caught up on everything I didn't do in the morning here once we got back. And here we are in the very late afternoon coming down to the wire. Um, I don't know why I'm sharing this with you, but that just that, that's, that's the, the situation on the ground here as I record episode 49 today. Now, some of you, if you've play, paid any attention at all to this uh, preamble, may ask yourself, you may ask yourself, why do you travel an hour to go to the orthodontist? Why? Is it, how does that sound? It's like, you may ask yourself, once in a lifetime, and you may ask yourself, you may ask, that video kind of scared the f out of me when i was a kid just uh, him looking all manic and sweaty and the weird film quality and the chopping of the arm i don't know that's the talking heads that's a band that gets a lot of critical acclaim and it's one of those bands that you're supposed to love and it's most certainly that not that i harbor any dislike whatsoever for the talking heads i've just never really i don't and it's not even fair to say that i don't i, I haven't gotten them because it's not like i heard it i didn't like it it's just it's one of these bands i guess i recognize it's good but i've never it hasn't connected with me like it's supposed to. I don't know. Um, but again, I don't dislike them. I do like them. But I don't really listen to them. And I, I, I've never had... Oh, you know what? I had one I had one true moment with the Talking Heads where they just where they connected with me on an uh, alchemical level. And that uh, was one day many years ago when I was living in Santa Rosa, California. I think it was uh, when I was living there, I had moved away from Santa Rosa, California... With Ms. Sensational before we were, we were married, we split up for one last time before we got married, and I moved back to Santa Rosa, California, lived by myself there. Well, not by myself. I had two roommates, but just bashing it, just being a cool dude in a party pad for one year by myself. Um, and during that time, I worked at um, a uh, coffee shop called Wolf Coffee, um, and I worked at two different locations. I worked downtown. And I worked in a mall called, called Cottingtown. Um, during this time period, I primarily worked at the downtown 4th Street Santa Rosa location. But I had worked at the Cottingtown location before Ms. Sensational. I had moved away. And so when I came back, I got my old job back, but just at a different location. Anyway, point of this, all this, even though there isn't a point, when I was working at the Cottingtown uh, um, location, this mall in Santa Rosa that's not downtown, I had met an individual named Steve. And Steve, I believe, was paranoid schizophrenic, and I say this not as a clinician of any sort, not as any kind of expert, but I had a uh, aunt growing up who was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, and Steve exhibited many um, similar behavior patterns to that aunt, and was living, sometimes I would encounter him and he appeared to be living on the streets, other times he'd appear to be in some kind of institutional care, kind of out for the day, uh, just kind of living like, you know, a, a marginal lifestyle as far as, you know, not, not, you know, a guy with some problems that were prohibiting him from leading that totally socially franchised lifestyle, if you were. But Steve and I, every time we'd see each other, we would have conversation. And he's one of those kind of guys where I never could figure out if he actually knew who I was uh, anytime we would encounter one another or if he was just talking to me because I was a guy on the street and he walked up and started talking to me. Because, you know, there was no, hey, there was no, like, sense of recognition, yet at the same time he would just walk up to me and start talking to me, and it's not like he was doing that to everyone, so maybe he remembered who I was. No clue. But I remember um, I ran into Steve. I know what it was. So I was living in Santa Rosa. I had taken the Golden Gate Transit bus, bus Route 80, 
from Santa Rosa down to the Bay Area to go hang out in San Francisco. It's this grueling, like, two-and-a-half-hour bus ride for what should take, like, an hour in a car. I did not have a car at the time, so I was relegated to taking Golden Gate Transit. And on the way back from San Francisco to Santa Rosa, my friend Steve was on the bus, and he struck up conversation with me. And he was telling me how he was on this long, epic ride back from Orange County, where he had visited extended family of his. He'd visited his mother. And his mother was married to a man who was not his father, who did not appreciate Steve visiting them. And uh, Steve had uh, gotten into some sort of altercation. And this had led Steve to have to spend some time in some kind of institutional care. And he was telling me that when he was in this institution, after he'd gotten in this fight with his stepdad or his mom's husband or whatever this fellow was, uh, he was at this place and they were all out wearing kind of like, you know, prison jumpsuit type outfits and um, he was getting processed, and he was waiting to enter this facility. And uh, there was a guy dancing around out in front, loudly singing that "Burning Down the House" uh, song. And uh, so he was like, "So that this is where I'm going to be spending the next couple of weeks, huh? Burning down the house, indeed." Um, yeah, so that's not a great story, but for some reason, it just came to mind and fit with the whole talking heads. And you may ask yourself, and all that. But anyway, so you may ask yourself, Gino V. Why? Why in God's name are you traveling an hour to go to an orthodontist? Are there no orthodontists in Napa, California? And the answer would be, since moving from Santa Rosa, California, two years or so ago now, there are three services that our family still travels to San Francisco or to Santa Rosa to acquire. One being the orthodontist, second being the dentist, third being auto mechanic. And I'll tell you why. These are three services that one does not attend so frequently that it's that out of hand to have to drive an hour out of one's way uh, to procure these services. And, you know, I still got parents in, in, or a mom in uh, Santa Rosa, so it's an, I, I can fold in stopping by and saying hi to her. Um, but so it's not like you're going to the dentist. It's not like you're going to the orthodontist. It's not like you're going to the auto mechanic once a week, once a day. You're going like once every few months. So it's not that big a deal. I still got to go to Santa Rosa anyway. It all works out. But these are all also very finicky services in, as, in such that it is difficult to find um, stable, quality uh, dentists, orthodontists, mechanics. It, it's a very, you know, it, it's, a, it's a relationship. It's not a straightforward service. No, no, no three of those. When, when it comes to orthodontia and dentistry, you've got some fool all up inside your grill, all up inside your mouth. So it needs to be someone that you feel comfortable with and someone that you can work with. You can't just go to anyone. Um, and with a mechanic, you know, you're giving over an expensive piece of equipment to someone who is going to be um, doing ex possibly expensive work on it, and you don't necessarily know what they're doing or how they do what they're doing, so you're kind of at their mercy. No, we're not all engineer nerd out here building our carburetors from scratch. I pay a guy, okay? I, 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 that's below my pay grade. I don't have time for that. I pay a guy. So um, but so the guy's got to be someone that you feel comfortable with, that you trust. There are a lot of iffy mechanics out there. We, we've had them in the past. There's a lot of iffy dentists and orthodontists out there. We'll have the, we've had them in the past. So we have this perfect triforce, this perfect trifecta of um, uh, practitioners that we feel comfortable with in this range of orthodontia, dentistry, auto mechanic, and they're all in Santa Rosa, so what the flip? We're just going to keep going there. We uh, 
the orthodontist that the kids go to, we got one kid, Miss One's almost done. Miss Two is still well within her orthodontia odyssey. We go to a fellow by the name of Dr. Payne, a name so perfect for an orthodontist that one would almost have to think that it was a uh, stage name. And this is if you, you let's create a, a heel wrestler who's an orthodontist. Well, what do we call him? Oh, we call him Dr. Payne. No, 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 that's too obvious. Call him Isaac Yankum. Oh, okay, you're right. That's a little more subtle. So Dr. Payne was actually my orthodontist when I was a young person. Uh, I had originally been going to an orthodontist by the name of, I believe, Dr. Mobley, an elderly gentleman. And at some point, Dr. Mobley merged his practice with a dentist or orthodontist called Dr. Payne. But this was Dr. Payne Sr., and Dr. Payne Sr. Had a, had a son, Dr. Payne Jr., who was new to the field. And then the two older gentlemen eventually phased out of the practice, and Dr. Payne went on to become my main orthodontist. And so I, he, I experienced Dr. Payne like version 1.0, you know, the beginning of Dr. Payne. And so my children have gone to him now, now that he's firmly established, firmly entrenched as this like OG uh, orthodontist in Santa Rosa. But I personally loved going to the guy. He's a great guy and great orthodontist, and my kids have enjoyed going to him, so why mess with the perfection? We're going to keep going. Our dentist in Santa Rosa, California, is none other than, no, not Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. No, no, no. We go to Dr. Amanda Delwich. Um, I've had a fair amount of dentists in my life. Most of them... At best, neutral. At worst, god-awful. Dr. Delwich is like um, a ray of, uh, of, of, of starlight emanating from the heavens of dentistry. Never been to uh, such a phenomenal dentist. Um, it helps that she is the best friend, longest childhood friend of a very dear friend of ours. Um, that's how we found out about her. But she's also just a, a, a runs a wonderful practice, does a great job, is just both, you know, reassuring in her dentistry, but is also just like just oozes competency and nerves of steel as she's doing whatever weird stuff you're having done to you're getting your teeth like drilled up and holes put in and stuff put in and fake teeth put in and a cap put on this or that and the third, whatever they do. I just give myself over to the power of Dr. Delwich and all is good in the hood. And this comes on the heels of, uh, we've been going to this horrendous dentist in Santa Rosa. I guess I won't, I, I, there's no need to put this individual on blast, so I won't say the name, but then we were going to this guy in Santa Rosa. And um, so not only was he sort of iffy as a dentist, which I'll, I'll get into in a second, but first and foremost, the worst part um, of this going to this guy and I think this will resonate with the IC Robots radio network because of the whole, um, you know, attempt at cheerfulness and positivity out there in the world that we, that we try to, to inject with our content. But this guy was just a massive jerk. And so it wouldn't have really mattered if he'd been the greatest dentist the world had ever known. His bedside manner was so atrocious that it just became hard to deal with. And see, it, be, it was hard because he had a, a hygienist that worked for him. And, you know, that's who you actually go to. You, you actually see most of the time when you're going to get your teeth cleaned is not the dentist, it's the hygienist. And she was great. But then the, the every, once every other time or however often you actually see the bonafide dentist, that was always a pain. And then hearing him um, 
just out in the office while you were in there with the hygienist was, was a drag because this guy was just like belligerent was lording it over his employees would just be like kind of berating them if they were doing something wrong. Um, I remember one time he had a woman working for him, uh, like his receptionist or whatever you call it. And, um, she had like a newborn baby and, um, she was behind the desk and she had the baby with her. And it was obvious there was like, because as someone that has had small children, has had babies, there's always this moment, you know, when you, they're new and you're trying to like hammer down the details of who, how the care is going to happen and what's going on and where this child is going to go. Um, you could tell she was waiting for some kind of handoff with someone else with the baby, but the, the person wasn't there yet. So she had, it's not like she was going to like sit there all day long with the baby. It was obvious because this was like first thing in the morning too, that there was like, some handoff thing going on. And this was like a small, and this was like, baby was like, you know, we're not talking like a, a four-year-old, you know, this is like the early stages of this individual's life. And so she checked me in, it was fine, the baby wasn't doing anything, the baby was just sleeping. And oh, cute baby, yeah, and I just sat down there waiting. And the dentist comes in and he's like, you still have that baby? You need to figure something out because you have a job to do and it's not taking care of a baby. And I'm just like, bro, you coming out there and spitting that was... 10,000 times more obnoxious and off-putting than me having to see this baby for two seconds. It's going to be gone by the time I come back out here. So anyway, uh, oh, but and then the, to make matters worse, the guy was like a madman. I, I had to get a wisdom tooth removed or wisdom teeth removed. And generally speaking, from my understanding and that other people in the dentistry world have told me, this almost always entails a dentist farming it out to a specialist, an oral surgeon. But this individual... This belligerent dentist wanted to, um, he told me he was going to do the procedure himself because he does it a special way. And it was going to take hours. He wanted me to block out like a whole day to get these wisdom teeth removed. And I was going to do it, but it just seemed iffy. And I was so sick of going to this guy because he was such a jerk. And then another friend of ours who had worked in dental offices in the past was like, that just sounds really weird. You should get a consultation from an oral surgeon. So I did. Showed up at this oral surgeon's office. I walked in, sat down in the chair. He pulled my wisdom teeth out. I was good to go. It took like 10 minutes. So I don't know what that evil dentist, that Dr. Isaac Yankum was trying to do to me, but thank God we left him in the desk. Now we're going to Dr. Amanda Delwich. And finally, auto mechanics. We found the most amazing auto mechanics in uh, Santa Rosa, California. If you happen to have Japanese import car, as we do. Um, Empire 2, T-O-O. Um, kind of out in the industrial hinterlands of Santa Rosa, but... Run by a, a family. Uh, I think the dad used to run the shop, and he's kind of ratcheted back as he gets closer to retirement or semi-retirement, just kind of works on the cars now. Uh, his two sons, two brothers, kind of run the operation. They got a real cool guy that works there. He's like their office manager. Just real super nice, super wholesome guys. They tell you everything they're doing on the car, like in great detail. They just apologize profusely about having to charge you. I've never had an issue with them. They keep our stuff running so well. So it'd be really hard to like leave that place and try to find someone else. So anyway, as much as I try to leave Santa Rosa, it just pulls me right back in. Um, I feel like there was something else I was going to talk about, but I have no idea what it was now. On to the next segment on episode 49. Tell them why Showbiz Pizza is so good. We make the dough fresh every day. Pile on the good things. It's great, I think. We make them and make them and serve them with pride at Showbiz Pizza Place. Showbiz Pizza Place. Great fun and great pizza. Come for the pizza and stay for the fun at Showbiz Pizza Place. 
friends, Gino Vega here, talking about something that is actually kind of a bummer in the world of whatever this podcast scene is that uh, the IC Robots Radio Network orbits within. Um, but just for a little background, uh, I got involved in podcasting. I think I took my first stabs at it back in like 2009, the early days of Facebook, just kind of messed around on my own. And then I actually left Facebook for a while. And by the time I'd come back, um, I see robots who I've known, as, as many of you know, since the, the, the mid-1990s when we worked at a movie theater together. Um, I see robots had kind of really, when I'd been around before, he, he had had a website, the icrobots.com site that exists to this day. I believe it was the same URL and everything. But um, in the time that I was gone, he had really gone full bore into podcasting, starting with the uh, Toys R Us report show. And in doing so, he had come into contact with uh, several different people in, I guess you would call it like the retro uh, world of, of uh, content creation, podcasting, blogging, etc., writing about memories of, of cultural artifacts from the 80s, the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, and I think he'd been doing some writing for the Retroist.com site because that's how I found out about that site. And I took a couple stabs writing at it, but I was never really able to get... It was when the kids were young and things were crazy, I could never really sustain any kind of writing. But I did write a few pieces for that site. Um, and in doing so... I became familiar with an individual who goes by the name of Vic Sage. And Vic Sage was a writer for the Retroist site, and I believe was involved kind of in the editorial capacity of things too, because I think when I was writing for them, he was the person that I interacted with as far as emailing him submissions and, and so on and so forth. And um, so over the years, he's always kind of been out there for me, um, I am 100% certainly not a retro person. I don't mean that as I, not at all casting shade on people that are. I, I do like story, telling stories, and those stories oftentimes do have components of my own past and my own aesthetic influences, which do often arise out of the, the murky memories of the 1980s and the 1990s. But I'm not in it specifically for retro. But I am retro adjacent at times, and I can appreciate that world. Um, and I, I think I, ISR is the same way because his podcasting started out of out of kind of talking about old toys, but it was really it's kind of evolved into more than more than just that. Um, but being adjacent to that world, it was impossible to not be aware of and not be an admirer of the work of one Vic Sage. Vic Sage um, was known for a number of um, creative pursuits. Like I said, he was uh, for a time affiliated with the Retroist site until that site kind of went through some shakeups and some changes. Started his own site, um, the uh, pop culture Retrorama site. Um, and so he would write pr prolifically for that site along with several other people that would help him out and write there. Um, he also was uh, prolific in the podcasting world with three main titles. I hope I'm getting this right. But he was responsible for the pop culture Retrorama uh, podcast, the Saturday Night Frights podcast, which was like a horror movie uh, focused on horror movies. And the one that I was the most connected to, the one that, I mean, I, I listened to all of them, but the one that really was like my wheelhouse was uh, his Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast, which I found just absolutely fascinating. Vic Sage harkens from 
a college town in the state of Arkansas where he worked for many years um, manning the uh, night desk of what appears to be some kind of like boutique style hotel. I, I could be getting that wrong, but kind of, you know, it, was, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a Motel 6 and it wasn't like a Hilton. It was like a, a kind of like a, you know, um, uh, its own deal. You know, I, what they call that a bo- boutique style hotel, I think. I hope I'm getting that right. Apologies if I have it wrong. But uh, yeah, he worked uh, the desk, uh, night shifts there, and then during the day, or I guess maybe during nights when he wasn't at the hotel, he was an employee at a amazing place that I have long admired from afar called the Arcadia Retrocade. And the Arcadia Retrocade is just what it sounds like. It is an arcade built up of classic arcade cabinet video games and I believe you pay a flat fee like $5 or something like that and you, you, I think you just are, are get a free-for-all once you pay the admission charge and go in there and come revisit these old games so like old timers like me can uh, can find their old friends the games that they remember from their youth uh, the youth can be exposed to these great games of the past to people that otherwise might not have been uh, privy to uh Arcade gaming, as it were, have a chance to, to take a whirl and see what the hubbub was all about. But just a really fascinating place, a really um, a place where the people um, involved in it just, just ooze dedication and passion. And a place that every time I see videos and pictures in this place, just a real community spot. A, a spot where people can just go and be together. And yeah, it's an arcade, but at a certain point it transcends that. It, it's it, The arcade is the, is the what gets us there, but once we're there, we're there together in this sort of communal spirit of enjoying each other's presence, of enjoying this, this shared hobby together, um, onward to Nirvana, I guess. I don't know. But in any case, uh, on his Diary of an Arcade uh, employee podcast... Vic Sage would often, or he would, I mean, the format was he would do a deep dive on a particular arcade cabinet game, like let's say Qbert. Um, but in addition to that deep dive about the game, there would oftentimes be some anecdotes about either how the game fit in, if it was a game that they had at the Retrocade, or just some attendant Retrocade tales. Um, and then he would also, um, from time to time, uh, Tell us stories about how he first encountered these games. It would often take place, not always, but it would often take place, um, those early memories of his, at what he would call the showbiz pizza of my youth. And that showbiz pizza, even though I've never seen it, never will see it, uh, I've never met Vic Sage in person, have never been to, I've been to Arkansas, but I haven't been to the to the part of Arkansas I believe that he is from. Uh, that place exists in my mind. That showbiz pizza of my youth has become the showbiz pizza of my youth of my mind. It represents something. It represents that um, that fertile ground, that place where we all encounter things in our youth that go on to shape our lives, that go on to help not necessarily ultimately make us who we are because that, that's a process that continues through the whole life. But that, that stuff that happens during those early years, during those fertile years, really has reverberations that that continue through the rest of your life. I know there's a there's an edgy take that um, uh, nostalgia is inherently bad, retro is inherently bad, thinking about the past is bad. But it doesn't mean not to be able to grow. It doesn't mean not to be able to exist with current things, exist with the, with the with the current day. Um, but it helps us to understand where we came from. To 
be able to clearly, more clearly articulate where we're going and why, or at least I believe so. And I found that spirit alive and well in the work of Vic Sage. Why do I make? Why, why do I sound like I'm giving a eulogy? I sound that way because, because it has come to my and everyone's attention over the course of the last week or so that Vic Sage is retiring from the content creation business. Um, and he put out a final podcast across all three of his podcasts. It was a shared episode. Any, any one of his three, it was the same content explaining what was going on with him. But basically, you know, he has experienced a change in um, stuff going on in his personal life. His work has changed. His time availability has changed. And as he put it, he's just tired and just wants some time to be able to not worry about the constant grind of creation. And... I truly understand where he's coming from, and I truly feel for him because it's really strange. You know, Vic Sage, when I was listening to his final episode, I could be wrong. He sounded a little bit glum, a little bit glum that he had spent so much time creating so much content, and it can often feel like you did it all for naught, particularly when you inhabit this niche that we do as content creators, where we do it just putting out into the ether for no real return, for nothing other than the process of creation. Like we're not getting paid or at least not getting paid in any significant way. We're taking time out of our lifetime that we could be doing other things to create this content, not knowing necessarily if anyone even hears it or cares. But here's the funny thing. To me, to me, Vic Sage is a household name. To me, he was just part of the fabric of my everyday life. I mean, not that I, it, it wasn't even like, you know, his podcasts were coming down the pike every single day, but he just, there was always right there on the edge of my imagination that, that, that comforting sort of Mr. Rogers esque lilting tone of his podcast really real, really would draw you in in a folksy way, but then present you with all this information and make you think about things related to the arcade related to video games, but then just make tangential connections and think about other things in your own life. So anyway, it's one of the crimes of this world, one of the cruelties of this world, um, in which, from my vantage point, Vic Sage should be a multi-millionaire off the content that he's created. He should be remunerated a thousand times over for what he's contributed to my life and what he's probably contributed to the life of others. But instead, the Vic Sages of the world are toiling away at the night desk of a hotel. Known, cherished, known, admired, appreciated by the niche out there, but unknown to the masses. And a lot of that is just sheer luck, right place, right time, right platform. You know, it's not about quality of content. It's not about what's in a person's heart or, or what a person has to offer. Really, a lot of it is just sheer flukery. If that's even a word. Flukery. But I totally understand why, after putting so much of, of himself out there, it is time for him to take a rest. And I fully respect that. And I just want to say thank you, Vic Sage. Thank you for the enjoyment your work has given me. Thank you for the inspiration you've given me. Um, I'm glad I was able to to have a seat for it, I guess. Um, I was going to talk about uh, my own uh, 
relationship with video games, my own relationship with arcades, kind of in conjunction with Vic Sage. But you know what we're going to do? That's going to be the topic of episode 50. Big episode 50. Because I ended up going more on a tangent of just talking about um, the creative process and what it means to be a uncompensated creator and the, the, the trials and tribulations and why I feel for Vic Sage and what Vic Sage meant to me. And I don't feel that now is the time to piggyback. I, I would be shoving a bunch of stuff in here at the end, not giving it its due. But I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if I have anything else I want to add on this Vic Sage tangent. Um, other than I just want to thank everyone out there that both creates content and consumes content when they really don't have to, when there's nothing in it for them other than the content, whether it's the, the, the joy that creation can bring without any compensation and the joy that consumption can bring, even when you're consuming something that um, you're not being told to consume, that you're not being, is not part, doesn't have, doesn't have a machine behind it, is, isn't, isn't part of the Borg, just these little, little bits and pieces floating through the air that some of us are fortunate enough to be able to kind of like step out of the main continuum and kind of a glimpse as they shine on by. So Vic Sage, shine you did. Um, we will bid you adieu. Although you never know. Uh, I feel like, much like in professional wrestling in the world of podcasting, retirements are not forever. So we'll see what happens. But no pressure, buddy. I, you, you know, you, you are... You deserve to walk away into the sunset and enjoy your time after so much time spent in the trenches. Um, in the meantime, go ahead and if for some bizarre reason you're listening to this in a vacuum, go on over to your preferred podcast platform of choice, look up Icy Robots Radio, subscribe to the feed, and gain access to all of our content coming down the pike, including this show, including Geek Fest Rants, and including, most importantly, our flagship show, the world's famous Icy Robots show, wherein our fearless leader, Icy Robots takes you on a wild ride through obscure trading card unboxings, through reports from Major League great Steve Balboni, and just from all kinds of missives and uh, misadventures from his own wild and crazy madcap life of offbeat shenanigans. Um, his most recent episode, chock full of great stuff. We got another Balboni uh, uh, report wherein, um, if you haven't listened to the show, no joke, real-life MLB great Steve Balboni calls in, talking about things like Bigfoot hunting and what he's up to in his own wacky and zany world. Um, I wanted to say, I meant to uh, hit on this earlier. Um, I'll throw it out there real quick. In the most recent episode, Icy Robots takes in an Oakland A's game at the Oakland Coliseum, and I just want to say... I support his take on the Coliseum to the fullest. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the Coliseum. It is a lovely place to take in a baseball game. It may not be the best place in the world to use high-speed Wi-Fi. It might not be the best place in the world to, I don't know, like ride on a water slide. It might not be the best place in the world to watch some other games from other sports at a sports bar inside the, inside the arena, but to sit in the stands 
enjoy a cold one, get a dog, get some nachos, uh, enjoy that, that East, that lovely East Bay air, the best weather in the Bay area, the East Bay. It's like always 78 degrees there always. And then that Marine layer comes in and kind of like just drifts you off into it, to a misty world of, uh, magical coolness as, as, as the evening progresses. Um, for all of those things, the Coliseum is top-notch. And why would you be going to a Major League Baseball game to do anything other than watch a Major League Baseball game? Very strange. I don't know. The world may never know. And plenty of people apparently do, but go A's. Um, until next time, it's me, it's me, it's Gino V, right here on the IC Robots Radio Network with uh, episode 49 of the podcast. And guess what? We're signing off! <laughs>